Chapter 16 of The Princess and the Plowman. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John Brandon. The Princess and the Plowman by Florence Morse Kingsley. Chapter 16. There are those who will tell you that the brain of man is an infinitely fine, infinitely powerful machine capable of producing currents of energy which ray out in countless divergent streams crossing and recrossing in the circumambient ether like the myriad service wires of a great city yet each conveying its message true and unbroken from sender to receiver if this is in truth a dimly apprehended fact scientifically demonstrable it ought by every right of mankind to engage the most earnest attention of the great body of our scientific explorers but whether so marvellous a function of brain be meant to serve universal ends in the present world or not it remains an indisputable fact that upon rare occasions the brain does so act transmitting and receiving vibrations which translated into thought may or may not be recognized by the consciousness as foreign to itself thus to hugh ghent wielding his axe in the upper woodlot and nursing bitter thoughts of disillusionment came the subtle intimation of mary's sore and pressing need of his presence he disputed the intruder for a hard-fought hour referring it to the well-meant advice of old mcelhinney but in the end he yielded make ready to drive me to the station for the six-forty train he directed andrew then carried dire dismay to permelia's housewifely soul by a sudden demand for a week's supply of clean linen and supper to be prepared and eaten in the space of half an hour and where might you be going so sudden and unexpected master hugh inquired miss mcelhinney with the freedom born of long and unstinted service both of heart and of body i am going to town on important business he told her briefly as he buttoned himself into his great coat and when will you come home that i can't tell you he called back over his shoulder perhaps tomorrow perhaps in a week's time i can't say but old andrew was not to be put off so masterfully you'll be taking my advice master hugh i'm thinking he began guilelessly as the sleigh jingled slowly through the deep drifts of the carriage drive into the track of the high road and i thank the lord for it he added fervently sound and wholesome advice is nay so easily come by as some folks would have us believe the counsel of the godly is like strong meat but the advice of fools tendeth to leanness she'll listen to ye gladly lad and you'll find it so she must listen to me whether gladly or not i cannot say but she shall listen ay you're in the right o it maister hugh shall and must be strong fine words to use in dealing wi women and bairns they need bindin to the heart we cord so might as well as of love i keen it weel hugh was silent his head sunk in the collar of his coat 
"'Tis a bitter night,' crooned old Andrew, after a silence filled with the monotonous ringing of the harness-bells and the plud, plud of the old mare's hoofs in the crisp snow. "'Woe be to ony tender thing abroad this night. I, the lambs, and young cattle, and as such, should be folded close when the black frost is abroad in the land.' Hugh laid a sudden, impetuous grasp upon the reins. "'Stop!' he commanded. An unbroken silence lay upon the glimmering fields, which stretched away to the black ocean on one side, and to the low-lying hills dim with forests on the other. "'There is naething,' said Andrew, and clucked cheerfully to the restive mare. "'We must make haste, or lose the train, I'm thinking.' As he spoke, the echoing shriek of an approaching locomotive sounded afar off among the hills. "'I've a mind to wait till tomorrow,' mused Hugh, turning a long, uneasy look back over the road. "'What was the sound ye heard like?' inquired Mr. McElhinney respectfully. "'You think I'm a fool, Andrew? But it was like her voice calling me,' answered Hugh." with a quick shiver. "'Twas your own fancy, lad, ringing its love changes in your ears,' observed old Andrew quaintly. "'I remember weel how when I was courtin' my wife every breeze spoke her name. Jeanie it was. And I give you my word, Maester Hugh, I heard it in the bells of the cattle and the crowin' of the cocks. It was I, Jeanie, Genie, ah, the day lang. Hugh turned once more and looked long and earnestly into the luminous night. I have a dread of going, he muttered, then with a hasty good-bye leaped to the platform and boarded the waiting train. May the Lord of hosts go wee him and strengthen him mightily, ejaculated Andrew fervently. Then he climbed stiffly out of the sleigh drew a blanket over the smoking flanks of the mare, and approached the station-master, who stood flapping his long arms about his chest in a cloud of steamy breath. "'Ye'll mind the box of beehives, either flat. I was expecting last week, Van Hoosen. Has it come to hand yet?' "'So it's you, eh, McElhinney?' "'No, sir.' They ain't no hair nor hide of a box come for ye yet. I guess them folks in the city think they ain't no special rage for beehives in zero weather. Beehives e the flat was what I ordered, said Mr. McElhinney mildly. I have the leisure now, and the desire to set them up and paint them and put the wax in the frames against the summer time. There's nae time to do it when spring opens. Time and tide, and the swarm of the bees, waits for nae man. Yes, you're about right, Andrew, as usual, drawled Mr. Van Hoosen. I see you got company to your house, even if tis cold weather. I tell you, these air city folks knows where to go for real comfort, and plenty o' good vittles summer or winter. Friend o' Pemberley's, eh? Company? repeated Andrew interrogatively. 
company yes a young woman she got off the five-five and nothing would do her but the stage she says to me i've been on this train before she says and the stage always meets it well i says it ain't running tonight sorry i says but i'm afeard we can't accommodate ye so after a bit she starts off to walk i told her how to get to your place all right take your first right i says from the red schoolhouse then your first left she said she'd know your place when she seen it been thar before i reckon mr McElhinney shook his head no one has come to the place to-night he said positively and i've just been over the road we maister hugh the station-master pulled his cap more snugly about his ears while he thoughtfully expectorated into the drift guess the ladies got stuck in the snow he opined with a dubious chuckle she was too durn smart for these parts in winter he added ill-humouredly if you know more'n i do about this here station i says to her well and good she lowed the oughter be a stage a-waitin cause she'd come to ride in it that's a fool way with these ere city folks they know the lord made the country all right but they're darn sure he made it for their special benefit mr McElhinney paused with one foot in the sleigh what sort o a lookin lassie was she he asked sharply tall eh and fair in the face be reddish hair knotted low in the neck behind the station-master stared at him contemplatively that's her he ejaculated sure thing say andrew if the young woman ain't a rove time you get home you best look her up she's been gone from here long enough to get to your place twice over and it's a night fit to freeze the gizzard out of a brass monkey he withdrew thoughtfully to the torrid comfort of a pipe of tobacco smoked in the close proximity of the red-bellied stove within the waiting-room while the sound of andrew's clanking bells gradually died away along the road over which mary had toiled nearly two hours earlier mr McElhinney drove rapidly till he reached the red schoolhouse then he stopped the impatient mare and carefully examined the two divergent tracks by the dim light of his lantern god help the poor lassie if she has wandered away a night like this he muttered the loose trampled snow at the meeting-place of the roads gave no token but a few yards farther on andrew came upon a spot where the wind had swept a hillock nearly bare of snow and here clearly defined in the crisp whiteness were two slender footprints whosoever she be and whatever her business we us the poor young woman has e'en taken the wrong road murmured andrew compassionately without hesitation he turned the mare's head away from home and took the less frequented hill road the young moon had already declined her setting and the brilliant sky was rapidly becoming overcast with heavy low-lying clouds which seemed to emerge in vast droves from behind the rim of ocean propelled by a silent wind which had not yet stooped to earth 
more snow presaged mr mcelhenny casting a weather-wise eye aloft then he called aloud to the reluctant mare and shook the reins over her broad back they were entering the wood now and thick darkness fell upon man and beast like a blanket andrew pulled the mare down to a slow walk and hung the lantern upon the dashboard where it cast a wan glimmer over the snowy road presently he stopped altogether and listened it seemed to him he had heard a woman's voice wished you fool he commanded the mare who was angrily shaking her harness indignant at this unwanted detention from her warm stall with its half-eaten fodder can't ye stand still whilst i listen if i should die before i wake i pray thee lord my soul these words spoken clearly and distinctly died away into a drowsy murmur of sound lassie where are you shouted andrew leaping from the sleigh and then in a moment he had found her leaning back against the trunk of a great hemlock tree whose sweeping snow-laden branches half hid her from the anxious eyes of the old man i was tired she said dreamily when he had pulled her roughly to her feet it seemed very warm in here away from the wind i i think i was going to sleep mr mcelhenny wasted no store of warm breath in useless words he half lifted half dragged the girl into the sleigh and wrapped the blankets about her then the old mare was urged to a rate of speed which had never yet been demanded of her in all her leisurely life she gave vent to her outraged feelings in a loud distressed whinny when her master finally pulled her to a standstill before the door of the farmhouse permelia mcelhenny had been employing the past hour in mild wonderment pierced with somewhat querulous anxiety concerning father who had a cold threatening his chest while every one of his carefully constructed red flannen lung pads were lying idle in his bureau drawer miss mcelhenny was indignantly sure of this for she had twice counted them she opened the door promptly at sound of the jingling vehicle without now father you come right straight into the house she said peremptorily jesse has been waiting in the kitchen this last half hour he can stable the mare quite as well as wished woman commanded her father and help me get the lassie in the house she's all but perished we'd a cold mary smiled sweetly into permelia's astonished eyes i am only very tired she said and fell back white and still among the red cushions of hugh's couch where they laid her with all tenderness and dispatch the energetic miss mcelhenny promptly stripped off the little fur jacket and the snowy shoes and stockings and fell to chafing the girl's slender feet she isn't really frozen anywhere as, as i can see she said to andrew who was hanging over the limp figure in an agony of solicitude she's just beat out with walking in the cold 
just you heat up a drop o old madam's currant wine over the kitchen fire father and bring it here quick as you can best take a drop yourself she called after him with daughterly solicitude mary opened her eyes presently and obediently swallowed a mouthful of the hot wine permelia had urged to her lips then she sat up and looked around where is he she asked i came to see him miss macalini's kind anxious face grew suddenly cold and unresponsive if you was meanin mr ghent she said stiffly he's not at home mary's lip quivered she seemed on the verge of tears i wanted to see him she murmured weakly well mr ghent isn't at home repeated miss macalini crisply he went away this very night what time did you come she added her curiosity getting the better of her resentment i came on the five o'clock train said mary faintly i lost my way i-i should have written instead of coming miss macalini with tightly compressed lips busied herself with the fire it was with an effort that she restrained the bitter words which filled her heart after a silence mary roused herself to say i must go back to the city to-night i must go now i think go back now to-night repeated Pamelia in dazed astonishment that you can't do mistress there's no train sit you still and warm while i fetch you something to eat she hurried away sternly admonishing her conscience the while there's no train running that i'll allow father to take her to to-night she told herself and he with a cold threatening his chest and the red flannen lung-pads a lion idle in his drawer and the mare all drenched with sweat too and the other horses stabled snug and warm she must even spend one night beneath this roof whether she will or no and in the morning i'll say to her what's on my tongue to say i will so and father nor any other man shall not keep me from it the lord has given her into my hand end of chapter sixteen recording by john brandon